equity of up to £150 million. You're in the theatre, fine, you're here to win games. We want to try to reduce this gap. I think that uh, a good team has to be good uh, to recognize uh, different phases during the game. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome into the Tottenham Depot. I am your host, Andrew. You can follow me at Aestetka. You can follow us at Tottenham Depot. It is episode 122. And uh, just two games to talk about, uh, plus a women's draw and not much else. I mean, not much else going on in the world of Spurs this week. It was a very quiet week. Uh, Just two ho-hum matches against big six opponents. Uh, Not a big deal whatsoever. Uh, So we'll go through those things and and get you guys out of here in in a nice, calm manner, because that's how we do it here at Spurs. We just we have calm weeks with not a lot of news and not a lot to talk about and not a lot going on. So we'll start by throwing it out to Caroline. She is at CG Stefko. Kaz, how are you doing after this uh, this week of Spurs that just did not want to quit? Oh, I'm hanging in there, I suppose. It's it's been like a a roller coaster, a whirlwind, any metaphor you would like to put to it. Just it's too much. It's too much. I think I, I, I described Spurs earlier as a shit show wrapped in an enigma, wrapped in a riddle that doesn't have an answer. And I think that's um if you're looking for those kinds of metaphors or, or, or meteorological ones, um, at, any of them work. Uh, Shuban is also with us. He is at The Real Shuban, joining us late in London for this recording, which we always appreciate. Shubs, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? It's great. There's, unfortunately, Todd isn't here, but can I take his place saying it's really good to chat with my mates from across the water. And even if it's chatting about Spurs, it's always good to, just good to be chatting with your mates. No question about it. And the same goes back to you, my friend. Uh, Shuban was at the Man United game, which we are going to get into here shortly. But before we do that, <laughs> I need to bring in Scott. He is at DSM Spurs, and he is also with us. Scott, what's going on, mate? Chilling, eating a sandwich. Life's good. Big uh, big game seven today for the Kraken. World Series rematch for the Astros. I honestly could give a fuck less about Tottenham, but I'm here to chat. Okay. Well, next time I uh, I go to throw it to you, maybe don't take a big bite of the sandwich right before, as you know, I'm going around the room here and, and introducing folks. That would be my advice. But, but what the fuck just, do I know? I'm from the gym, man. If I don't eat now, I'm gonna fucking scream at everyone. So let me let me just get the sandwich. I mean, this now. is only this is only the 122nd episode of the Tottenham Depot. I would have thought that he would have it down by now, but we'll get there with him. I swear, we're we're working on the, on our guy here. <laughs> The chomping noises are just some ASMR for the listeners. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully the, what is it, misophonia doesn't uh, doesn't kick in for folks listening to this uh, on their commutes or, or whatever. Um, guys, this, this, was a, this was a week. Of course, I was kidding earlier about it being a quiet week. This was um, one of the more dramatic, I guess, weeks in, in Spurs' recent memory that I can remember. Um, as, obviously, Ryan Mason took over for Christian Stellini, which is not even something that I think we had officially 
known when we when we signed off last week on the pod because we kind of figured it might happen but um that officially went down on monday and then you know leading into these two matches that we're going to talk about uh home against manchester united and then away against liverpool uh that, that just wrapped up here a few hours ago on sunday um this i don't know this was just this was exhausting it felt like um Let's start by diving into United before we get to the Liverpool game. Uh, this was a match that I had the chance to watch, but on delay uh, after getting home from work. And I, I messaged you all after I watched it, and I, I simply said, well, I didn't expect to be proud of Tottenham Hotspur today. And I kind of was after watching that match, weirdly enough. As 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 poorly as it went, um, you know, and as kind of lackluster as, as things started for this club, they at least showed some heart. And it's almost like I would rather that at this point in the season rather there be a little bit of heart a little bit of desire um even if the the results aren't there that's kind of what we wanted to see coming out of um the four game christian stellini era and into the ryan mason era for the rest of this season um shuban i know you were you were at the ground you took this match in the vibe was i know very different inside the stadium uh, then at least I know I was feeling after this match. What what was it in the stadium? I know it was it was kind of toxic and intense, right? Oh god, it was like well, it started off pretty decent. I got to meet um, Scotty's friend Ben, and we actually got to introduce him to um, Rob White, who's the son of um, uh, John White, who's a Spurs legend. And it was like it kind of brought back to like this is what Spurs is all about: those connections that you make. And um, when I got into the ground, I was walking up there. And I was saying to Ben, I said, look, can you hear any singing? Can you hear anyone chanting? Can you hear any excitement? Can you hear any joy? I mean, I don't, again, I don't remember. Because obviously I go, I, I'm probably, I go there not too often to like actually can do, differentiate. But like I said, I'm, I know you were there for the Forest game. And even the meeting game, there was a little bit of energy. It was a bit of positivity. But this game, it was as if the the soul was sucked out of us. And... I don't know how many within how many minutes the Levy out chance started. There were those there was really funny balloons. I didn't actually notice them until someone held them up. Like there were, you know, someone and then some of the balloons got onto the pitch. And it was just the fact that and there was one guy who was using very colourful language in front of me um to describe the players. Now I'm in the part lane, so that is where you're gonna experience, experience colourful language compared to say the Paxton on the West. And and there aren't as many stewards, but I felt if a steward had said something to that guy, that poor steward would have probably got the shit kicked out of him because there was just, it just was waiting for something to kick off. It really felt like that. And honestly, I was, I'm honestly, I looked towards the West stand where Daniel Levy sits and obviously I couldn't see that much obviously where I am, but I'm surprised he didn't have like a bunch of armed guards around him or something because it just felt so poisonous. I just didn't want to be there. I unfortunately missed the halftime segment, which um, my buddy Norman Geller was on. And um, just to put into context, um, Cliff Jones, who was the double winner in 1961, his grandson is now part of the coaching team, Matt Wells. So you can imagine how proud a day this was for him. And obviously, we're 2-0 down going into the break. And he must have been torturous for him. And especially for like Norman, who obviously would have known Matt since he was since he was since his birth. And it, but the thing is, when Poros got the got one back, I just don't remember cheering. I didn't even remember cheering. I was just so worn down by how negative the atmosphere was. I just didn't want to be there. And I was just like, I was joking because the, so the two days before, I met up with a friend of mine, uh, Greg from Toronto. He came over. He's not. He'll be at the Palace game, 
but he won't be at this. He wasn't at this Man United game. I was like, are oh, you lucky to get you on my ticket? Because I don't want to go. It was just, I just didn't want to be there. And there's a bunch of people, just a bit, uh, to give an example, obviously the Man United game is one of the biggest games you're going to have. It's very highly demanded. I'm not slating them for being tourists, but generally a lot of people that would have been there weren't there. They decided to sell their ticket back to the club. And so, you know, this, that ticket was then resold. Uh, you didn't see the empty seats that many people threatened to see. But I was like, I was looking around and like the part lane is normally heaving. You're giving it, and there's a little bit of call and return between the part lane and the shelf side and all that kind of stuff. But everything felt so half-hearted and I I can't, I mean, I mean obviously I know talk about like diet. I mean, the thing, the, the dye mistake happened right in front of me, literally right in front of me. And I'm looking at that because I remember I didn't see the Perisic, like there was a chance at the other end. So I wasn't able to see what happened. And obviously it went down and then die. And I'm not thinking, do you know what? I know Rashford's got the legs in you, but it's not as if someone, it's not as if it's like Mbappe or someone you don't know. You have trained with, again, with him for England and played, played trained with, with against him in, for England. So you two know each other. And as as good as Rashford is, and Rashford's a good player, I'm not saying, you know, he, he can be neutralized. And Dyer did not do that. And then well, he missed a point-blank header. And I just felt, oh, dude, it's like, this is not your day. And it just felt, and then when Sonny missed the sitter, and it just well, felt as if, you know, it just felt like, I just, you know what, I just felt, I felt bad for Dyer, the, the amount of crap he was getting. Like, and people say the pleasure, and they are, but you know what? I think Dyer is being asked to do a job he's not capable of. And I think if you're asking players to play with qualities they don't have, either you have a system that marks the lack of qualities so they can overcome it, or you spend as much time coaching them. And obviously, Ryan Mason can't do that because he's not been there. He's been part of the coaching team, but he's not been the main part of the coaching team, if that makes sense. And honestly, I... I don't know. Like I said, I I looked at that and I just thought the best way I can describe Dyer at Dyer is he's like the Zeppo. It's like he's like the Marx brother that no one remembers, you know. And he was he was made to look good by Jan Vertonghen. The best the best way to describe it is if I don't know we have we have, we have a term going out on the pole where guys will go out and try and hook up with girls. And the thing is, if you've got a very handsome guy like a Yamatongan or a Toby, that makes it easy. And you can take their, you know, their, their scraps. Or if you've got the Mr. Nembele to go out with, yeah, you can feel off his scraps. Dyer has been made to look good by other players for many years. And guess what? Now he's showing he's just, he is good. He's, an, he's a very good player. He's, like, he's going to be a bit better than I'm ever going to hope to be. But at this level, at the level he needs to be at, he needs someone of better quality to hold, to lead his hand. And I just saw mistake after mistake after mistake. And I feel sorry for Forster in there because there is nothing he could have done about either of those goals. You know, it just, he just, and then I think there was one, I think Perisic saved off the line. And Perisic actually had his, clearly he's been waiting for Ryan Mason all season because I don't know if Kaz could Kaz can answer this better, but this seems to be the Bayern Munich Perisic. But, you know, he just definitely, you know, definitely has improved from what I saw anyway. Shuban, have you been watching Alistair Gold videos? Because you just did the best impression of him that I've ever seen. Like, that was incredible. That rant was, I, I don't have it timed exactly, but I think you just went for at least eight minutes straight. And I'm 
I have nothing. You just summed up the game entirely. That was incredible. Like I, we haven't, I haven't touched on lineup. I haven't touched on subs. I haven't touched on the goals. You just, you went through the whole damn thing right there. I, I mean, I wanted your, that I wanted the, well, I, was there. I was, I was there. Exactly. Was that there. was, I mean, what else is there to say? Um, <laughs> I'm sitting here listening to you like, damn, he's really, he's really on one right now. I just want to let the, I want to let him finish right now. He's cooking. Um, um, I mean, look, this... the thing is, I'll tell you what the one thing, the one thing was though, do you know when they did, well, the worst thing was though, at the end of the game, they played like Ma Manchester music. So we had, there was a scene called Manchester and they played music from the Manchester scene. I'm thinking, of all things to play, it's like playing. Yeah, like, it's like losing. Seem... It's like it's like losing to Liverpool, and they think, "Oh, let's let's play the Beatles or something." You know what I'm saying? No, that that doesn't was, that doesn't really. Quite it was just seem like right. that, and it and you. it just and the best thing is that, the best thing is it just I don't the best I can describe it this this week we we saw like the I think I don't know if they buy Munich have this like a fan board or something and oh the the, the players we, we you know refunded some of the. Uh, yeah, so, so, uh, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll get into those away. things. It's it's it's, uh, it's wild. The thing man. is, it was just it like, was but what it, but what it was though it was the, the tone deafness of like anything. Like you really like literally like from everyone like nobody gets at all. Nobody gets it. It's like you just don't get it. And then like literally when you when I had when that Manchester thing out the same roses, I'm like thinking, you've got to be kidding me with this. Of all things to play, and then I just uh, I mean obviously. Even like United are a good side, and to get two or draw, especially being two 0 down, it's definitely something to you know be proud about. We showed fight, and we showed heart, and and I and I'm and I'm I'm proud of that. That is Tottenham. Tottenham beyond having a DNA of like we play good football or something like that, it's about having heart. It's about yeah. having heart. Well, and that goes and that goes exactly into what I was saying at the top. That go, goes into what I was saying. I watched this game later in the day on delay, not knowing what happened. And I just didn't expect to feel any kind of pride after that match. And especially with the way that it's the way that it started felt very reminiscent of honestly, both the Newcastle match last week and the Liverpool game that we just watched today with, with just a horrific start, but it was only one goal early. And then the goal before halftime from Rashford and yeah, down two nil, you felt like same old shit, same old, you know, just a different day. But if you go back and look at the statistics from this match, Spurs created nearly a half goal more of XG than Man United did in this game. I thought that the subs were, for the most part, pretty on point. Um, you know, the 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 Kulisevsky coming on from Richarlison sub, I thought, really changed the way that Spurs played in the second half, even though the Poro goal had come before that. Um, and I just thought they looked, they came out in the second half and really dominated that second half. And that was what, you know... I was I was filled with this feeling of oh Ryan Mason's actually like maybe gone in and and kicked these guys up the ass a little bit and said we can do this and they they went and I say did it because I felt like a draw was not only a fair result but a, a good result for for the position that they had put themselves in. And do you know what when he brought in Tanganga we were thinking what's that about and then I just realized because Tanganga has been getting giving him a lot of shit as well over the over the last six months and i'm not immune to it i'd be saying like i like the kid because he's from local but whether he's good enough or not i don't know but he asked him to do a job he did it he did it well and like i said you kind of get to thinking like what if we'd given ryan mason the job two and a half weeks ago because i mean obviously i know you talk about it later on because i'm gonna be showing off in probably about a couple of minutes but you, should, you know there was more warmth to Stellini, who had been our manager for two games and now goodbye to him, 
and our thanks, blah, 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 to him. And there was to Conte, who'd been, who'd been our manager for, what, just over a year and a half or something? Well, do, I mean, do, we not think there's a, do we not think there's a reason for that? I mean, I think that's a little bit of Conte's doing, too, with, with the, the, yeah. the things that were said by him uh, about the club. I think that's I I think that kind of speaks for itself. Stellini wasn't trashing the club in the way that Conte was at any point in time. So I don't know. I can kind of get that. But um, what else? What else is it to say about this game, guys? What else do we want to get into? I, the Poro goal. You know, Shuban, you brought it up. My only thought on it was um, I was afraid. I thought Richarlison really struggled in this game, and I was happy when he got yanked. I, my only fear on the Poro goal was watching it live. It almost looked like he had interfered with De Gea. And that made me fearful that the, the goal was going to be chopped off. Now, when I looked at the replay, he wasn't really that in the way, but it was just another instance of Richarlison falling all over the floor, um, which was super frustrating. It will come on to, to him, obviously, in the Liverpool match. But I was happy for Poro's goal and really happy for the, the, the second goal, too, with, with Kane assisting Sonny and thought that was a really awesome moment. And it, and it looked really, really fun to be a part of. Um, and like I said, kind of filled me with a, a little bit of pride coming out of what was, you know, to that point, what we thought was like a low, low moment in this club with Newcastle last week. Oh, maybe, maybe there's a little something here. Maybe there's a little bit of spark in this flame coming out of the, the United match. Yeah. What it showed to me was just that the players are actually playing for Ryan Mason. He clearly had an effect on them at halftime and, they came out and it was almost, I won't say a different team because I don't think we were quite as bad in the first half as some people have made out, but definitely they were a level up from what they had been in the first half. And I, I feel like that's all we really want out of the team at this stage of the season is like to show some fight, show some resilience and play some attacking football. You know, those are like the three main priorities. And we got that. The defense is what it is and is not going to change before the end of the season. So I kind of feel like, unfortunately, we're in this position where we kind of just have to do our best to outshoot our opponents every game because we're not keeping clean sheets. It's just not happening. Um, but, I, I mean, I felt like a draw was a fair result, and I could even have seen us just edging the win. Didn't happen, Scotty. but it easily could have. Scotty, you sent me a, a message in the group chat uh, Thursday after the game. Kind of, uh, you had gone from being Pochettino, and only Pochettino will will satisfy you as as the next manager of this club. But you seemed like you had warmed a little bit to Ryan Mason after that match, at least, excluding your thoughts on the Liverpool match for now. But <laughs> to, the, to that point, it felt like oh, Mason had had you had warmed to him a little bit, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I should definitely point out, I guess, start by saying it, it is it is a consolation to Pochettino, right? But I have warmed to it. Um, I think we go to the point of pride, which you guys are correct. I mean, fans should feel proud of what they saw. I didn't necessarily feel proud as much as I just felt like relief and just good God, like finally, right? Because we're not a bunch of morons. Like we're all, the, the whole team's talented but it has never come together quite right. And we can argue the back, right? We need to improve, of course, but to see what we saw for the second half was, is the expectation for me. So I wasn't like, Oh, thank this team's amazing. Like way to go Mason, blah, blah, blah. I was kind of like about fucking time boys. Thank you. Um, was how I felt after that second half. Um, but 
to Mason, to Mason specifically, I think I've really warmed to him because of, of him getting us there, but I still have questions, right? I think both matches show me that Mason is very, very talented and has a bright future, but is very inexperienced. Um, case in point today, you cannot come out on the front foot with this with the quality of defense that we have. And I will say, Conte was a pain in the ass, but him and Mourinho both said over and over, our defense is not quality enough for us to play on the front foot, and they were spot on, right? Um, you cannot start a match 3-0 down. You cannot start a match 2-0 down as quickly as we did. You cannot start a match 5-0 down like we did against Newcastle. It's, 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 it's in, not It is insane, okay. the shovel the shovel that Spurs have had in the last three matches and buried themselves there. It is like, it's, it's, real, it's, unco- it's unconscionable the, the way that it it's is. gone the and last that's where matches. That's where I give Jose and Conte a lot of credit for saying, I know that you guys want attacking football. I can't do that right now. They were, they were spot on, right? But Mason is showing us what we can do. We have to revamp, especially at the back. Um, if we're willing to invest in a, in a true rebuild under Mason, I'll take it. Again, huge consolation to Pochettino because Pochettino gives you exactly what Mason gives you, which is that fire and desire and passion and, and, and you know willingness to bleed for the badge with a heap of world-class experience at the top of the game, right? So he's like Mason on steroids. Um but if I cannot get Pochettino, sure, give me somebody who at least wants to fight for this club, right? And where I say Mason's ceiling is very high, those halftime changes are just exquisite Italian emoji, you just chef's kiss, whatever you want to call it, right? Perfect, perfect adjustments at halftime. That man is very talented, and I would have no problem with him managing the club if it's not Pochettino. I will also close by saying it's a shame that I just want somebody who who can who can care, right? That's a shame that we've gotten here, but here we are. I want to tie Thursday and this Mason conversation that we're having into the Liverpool match today. But before I do, I just want to make sure you guys don't have anything else on the United match specifically before I kind of attempt to do a transition that I'm explaining uh, way too long-windedly already. You guys are good to move on. You don't nothing else to say about United. I kind of agree. Like I said, coming out of this match felt okay. And then we got into some of the things that happened in this Liverpool game today. Now, the two changes I had no problem with. Kulisevsky comes in for Richarlison. Ben Davis comes in for Longley. Thumbs up to both. I'm cool with that. No problem with the lineup. But again, like you said, Scott, can't come out and feel like you have the defensive ability to come out and, and play on the front foot in the way that they did and press in the way that they did. And once again, you know, you, you turn around seven minutes in, uh, or I'm sorry, it wasn't seven minutes in. It was <laughs> how many minutes in three minutes in you're, you're, you're one nil down five minutes in you're two nil down. And this honestly, early on felt a lot like, like Newcastle last week. It felt like we are going to lose this match 8-1. We've seen Liverpool do that to many teams already throughout the last handful of seasons, including I think they did it to who did they do it to like only a few hand, handful of weeks ago. They beat somebody really badly. Like that's where I saw this going in the first 10 minutes or so. Um and then 15 minutes in the the penalty that that Cudi Romero delivers and and Salah buries the penalty it, at that point, I really am just like this has all gone. Like I was having, I, I was having those feelings of I'm glad that I didn't really expect anything from this game because it won't hurt me as much. 
And then they did the thing that they did. They did the comeback thing again. And I was like, oh my God, this whole, it, it, it honestly, it felt, this is where I'm tying these two games together. It felt like Thursday's game a little bit all over again in that you fall from behind, you fall behind and you make a comeback and it feels positive coming out of it. It feels like something strong. And honestly, part of me kind of still feels that way after this Liverpool game. I have to be honest. There's, a, there's, there is a part of me that says, I can appreciate the fight that they showed in the second half of this match. But the bullshit that went on to cause them to lose it is also why I have massive, massive questions still about Ryan Mason and, and his capability to be in this spot. Um, number one, putting Lucas Moore on the pitch in any scenario was moronic. But then when you see the last two performances that Lucas Moore has had, this one and the one against Everton where he was sent off within minutes, I don't know what else to say aside from get the fuck out of my club, Lucas Mora. I'm so done and I hate to be that brutal and harsh, but if this guy doesn't have a future beyond the next four games, why is he seeing the pitch? I don't understand it whatsoever. Those are the roadblocks that I have with and, and the frustrations that I have with, with, with everything that went on today versus I am still kind of a little bit like, pumped up that they made that push again in the second half again you shouldn't be down three nil 15 minutes in but the heart and the desire showed by some of the players today especially players like oliver skip who took a fucking boot to the face like i have to show a little bit of appreciation for what went on on the pitch aside from a, a bone crushing 4-3 defeat that really should have been probably a victory yeah, I would really love to know what blackmail Lucas has on the club. Because um, I, I don't, I no because that dude probably hangs around with some scary motherfuckers. So I don't. That's if there true. is blackmail, I don't really want to know what what that is. That is true, but honestly, it's it's just inexplicable to me that he keeps seeing the pitch this season when he's so clearly past it. Um, and you know, I wanted to be like all in on Ryan Mason, and otherwise I would be. But the fact that he subbed Lucas in, I'm just like, why, Ryan? Why? Why have you done this? <laughs> but I, I mean, I agree. It's it, you feel mixed feelings because, like you said, it's heartening to know that the team has it in them to keep making these comebacks. But it's frustrating that they keep needing to make a comeback because our defense is what it is. So it all just starts to feel kind of futile and. I don't know, a little maddening. Um, but I do think that some of the individual performances deserve a lot of credit. Like you said, Skip absolutely got put through the ringer. Um, and, you know, he's he's not a player that we ever doubt his commitment anyway. You know, we always talk about him being possibly a future captain because he's that committed to the club. Um, I also want to give a little shout out to Sun, who is – quietly developing some goal scoring form heading into the end of the season. You, you know, he's the beginning of the season was not good. We can all acknowledge that, but I think he's kind of making up for it a little bit now. So, well, you know, what's weird about that too, is that it's, it's actually, it's both Sun and Perisic are developing something on that left side that we did not see. We, we almost saw the opposite of that under Antonio Conte. I wonder if something has changed in the last six or so games since Conte left to 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 fix whatever that problem was on that left side for most of the season i think there definitely has been because kind of as shuban alluded to perisic is playing more like he did at Bayern in more of a almost traditional winger role and we've seen sun playing more narrowly which has its pros and cons but i think largely works for sun as well 
So the only problem then is that you still can't count on Perisic to uh, be as reliable defensively, even though he did have that one really good clearance in the United match. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Caroline. I think it's it's been a tactical adjustment that that's kept Sun more narrow and forward facing. He, he's really he's al- he's almost up top through the middle now, uh, most of the match. And I mean, this is this is where I do have questions about Conte that I've always had is. As talented as he is, how do you not see the Sun and Paris that you're occupying the same space the entire season, right? You 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 move Sun in, 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 centrally, and all of a sudden Paris has room to operate and breathe. Sun looks a lot better. He's getting in, in amongst the goals. And honestly, we've talked about this so many times on so many podcasts. When you put Sun up top as the main goal scoring threat, he scores goals. It's that simple, right? And as and as often as Kane has been dropping back this year, the fact that we haven't had Sun up the middle up top is just is kind of baffling seeing what's happening right now. I don't think it's some like magic Mason powder or anything like that. I literally just think he put Sun up top as a striker finally. Um, and here we are. It 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 is telling to me too that both of these players that we're discussing are, you know on the other end of, of 30 and are, you know, veteran players who, when you put a lot of legs on or minutes on their legs, not legs on their minutes, you put a lot of minutes on these guys' legs, they're going to slow down later in the season, especially one that had a world cup in the middle of it. So I, I think all of these things are factors, but it has just been really interesting to see um, the way that the, both of them have been playing better. Um, let's, let's dig a little deeper into this Liverpool match, because like I said, after, after 15 minutes, I'm I'm crying. Then Harry Kane gets the goal before halftime, and I'm like, okay, 3-1. They haven't played great. They obviously had the horrific start, but I'm like, I'm going to keep – I did have feelings in the first half of, like, why am I watching this? There's no point. And that's honestly the first time I've felt that in a very, very, very long time about, about Spurs. Um, but they come out again in the second half and just kind of it, – it felt very similar to the United match where they were just kind of whipping ass, and they – had control and they were they were they hit what the crossbar three times or the post at least three times in the second half alone um it was it was really really sick sunny gets the the second goal and it was kind of funny because when he scored he's he i think he was like he wanted to he, he was like cross cross between like wanting to go celebrate and fire up the crowd and and get them going you know the away end was incredible today up at anfield they were so loud and into the match and those those fans should absolutely be like given Nobel prizes for showing up after the week that, that has been uh, going all the way up to Liverpool, especially after having to travel all the way to Newcastle last week and see that debacle. Um, but honestly, Sonny like was caught in between wanting to celebrate versus, Oh, we need to get this ball back to, to, to the center spot to, to try and complete this comeback. Um, and then they, they, they fucking did. They brought Richarlison on to just a chorus of booze as you would expect him to get, at Anfield and he's the one that fucking he scores his first Premier League goal on a wild ass header and ties the match and I'm sitting here baffled and so once again filled with pride in what I've just witnessed in this club coming back in the second half and then it all gets ripped out away from me because Diego Jota scores a minute later in in stoppage time and and gives Liverpool the win take me through your guys just roller coaster because this was Obviously, you know, and we can come on to the Oliver Skip thing, too, because that's important in all of this, uh, this message. Yeah, I think we need to go to the Oliver Skip of it all now, because that was one of two factors that made Liverpool's fourth goal just infuriating. 
So obviously earlier in the match, Jota had come on as a sub. I immediately groaned because I saw where this was going, but he should have been sent off for a blatant high kick on Oliver Skip. I mean, it was, it was kind of one of those horror moments that you hear described. I gasped. Um, I gasped. I, I gasped yeah, and Ryan loudly Mason, watching it live. It was insane. Who, who knows a little bit about head injuries looked absolutely aghast. Um, so I, I honestly don't understand how VAR did not intervene to, to let Tierney know that that was a red card offense. Um, my, my slight conspiracy theory, which I will, will now air, is that the Premier League obviously has a vested interest in Anfield being seen as this tough place to go. So it's, it's maybe not a coincidence that we have so many strange VAR decisions and non-decisions happening. Whatever. I know it's a conspiracy theory, but I couldn't help thinking it. And it's, it's just one thing in the long list of bad luck that we've had at this stadium going back time immemorial. <laughs> And for Jota to then go on and score the goal, admittedly because of a horrible error from Lucas Mora, you know, we can't get around the fact that Lucas screwed up, but for him to still be on the pitch to score it is just like, why always us, you know? And obviously, you know, opponents will say, well, the reason that, that Jota came on was for Luis Diaz, who got kicked pretty pretty damn well by by Ali Skip in the first half I think it was um and that's why he was even on the pitch because Oliver Skip could have been booked or maybe even sent off for his challenge on on Diaz earlier but yeah to your point uh you know Jota gets the yellow card moments later Skip is subbed off for Richarlison who ends up scoring the, the equalizer late it was all kind of a lot of serendipitous stuff that almost seemed to have happened in that scenario but I just don't see him get kicked squarely in the face and not draw a red card. It's it was just baffling to me. Yeah, I mean the absolutely horrendous call. That's a red card all day. That I mean, if if you're teaching somebody how to spot a red card, you just sh you show them that that play, right? It's it's blatant red. I, I I do think that there's something to to the conspiracy bit of all of this. You know, we know the media have been drooling over Liverpool making top four and this this heroic magic, you know come back at the end of the season from from their hero club blah 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 right we know how that goes but there's also a certain order to things that todd's talked about before that 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 british football likes to maintain right it's a real thing so whatever shit call um but you know like you said andrew they all kind of feed into each other skip coming off for charleston because he got kicked in the head the non-red where charleston scores a goal blah 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 we fucking beat ourselves in the first 20 minutes. None of it matters. Like it, I, I get it. I get the frustration, but when you concede three goals as early as you do, like this shit just happens, right? If we didn't do that, Joda's goal probably draws level or maybe even keeps us ahead. Right? Like we, we will continuously fuck ourselves and we can complain about whatever, but it's been the same way for years. Um, I, I totally get what you're saying. And and yes, obviously any game in which you concede three in the first 15 minutes, you should not expect to get a result from that's the kind of saying, but again, the way that they played in the second half. And again, the, 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 the expected goals in this game were not far off from, from one another. Liverpool with 2.20 expected goals to Spurs 2.03. That's mm -hmm. not a huge gap for, 
what this game was, especially like I said, well, they, they came out in the second half like they did on Thursday against Man United and absolutely kicked Liverpool's ass and fought back from 3-0 down to, to, to tie this match. And the fact that it went the way that it did is it's just kind of a little bit backbreaking. Well, and, and the thing the thing is, is that like it it all comes back to the fact that the best thing that's happened to us so far this season is us picking ourselves up off the ground after being absolutely tattered. Like, let's just not get there. Right. We're so we're so happy and excited about these comebacks. Like, for fuck's sake, look at what's happened the last three games. Look, look at why we've had to do that. And most importantly, they're able to do that because the pressure is off. Like at that point, who fucking cares what happens, right? Go to try to score goals. So we got to figure that out. And this is one thing that's frustrating to, to see when you look at like the last 18 months, two years, whatever. And again, I'm, I'm open to Mason, but we, when we go down by two goals, three goals, 18 goals, whatever it was against Newcastle, you go in the locker room and you say, we have to make sure we don't ever concede another goal. So let's set up to make sure we don't concede a goal and find ways to score and break on the counter. Just do that from the beginning of the game. Like Conte has been preaching again. I'm, I'm glad Conte has gone. I'm not trying to make this about him, but the fact that we didn't do that from the beginning is very frustrating to me. We are not talented enough to do anything else. And when you're down three nil and you go in the locker room, you say again, Let's make sure we set up to never concede again today and try to find a couple goals. Like we have to just do that from the jump. That's Mason's inexperience that will come with time. I get it. Like the romanticism of, of coming in as the new guy who was the player and is, you know, friends with all these guys and just like, Hey guys, go play football the way Tottenham Hotspur wants to play football. It just isn't realistic at this point. Right. So he's going to have to learn from that too. You know what I will say in Mason's defense though, is that, watching his press conference, he did acknowledge that it's the conceding of these goals early on that is absolutely killing us. And instead of immediately throwing the players under the bus, like Conte would have, he actually takes responsibility. He's, He's thinking about it. And the difference is that I actually have a little bit of faith that he's going to try something new tactically to, to fix it. You know, he's not just like resigned to it and like bunkering into his like very specific system like Conte would. Cause you know, I, it's, I hear what you're saying about you have to go into like damage control mode, I suppose, but it's, that just doesn't feel good at this point in the season when we've been playing so negatively the whole season anyway, and it still wasn't working. So I don't know. It's, I feel like I said earlier, we're kind of in a lose lose situation until the next transfer window when we can hopefully figure out what's going on with the defense because it's not working. Well, and I, I will say too, I, I, I hear you on all that. I, I just argue that it maybe was working because we were where we were and now look at how fast we're falling. Like, I just think I'm starting to see that maybe the way we were playing took us as far as we could go with this group. Right. Is, is kind of what I'm saying. And again, I'm not praising the negative football. I was, I was bored to fucking tears with the tactics and you guys can probably tell I'm a li- I'm actually a little bit more interested in these, this last week of football than I've been in a long time. Um, and that's Mason, right? I, I'll, I'll give him a ton of credit there again. I'm fine with him being our manager, but I will say that he, as, as much as we thought what was working, what was going on, wasn't working. I think now I see that I was dead wrong and it was actually working really well because we were somehow fighting for fourth place. And I keep saying like the mind boggles that we were doing that we were fighting for fourth place. 
maybe that's as far as we could go, you know, was fourth place playing, playing that negative football because the second we go on the front foot, like, God, we've conceded how many goals in, in the first, you know, 15 minutes of, of the last three matches or whatever. It's six, seven, eight. it's like 10 goals. It's a fucking insane. I would just like to say, I, I would be curious in an alternate universe to see how Ryan Mason did if we had Benton Kerr at our disposal, even Emerson Royale. Yeah. You know, no, like, no question. This all could be no very doubt. different these last two games. Because I think Look, maybe then our attack forward style might be a little more effective because we had a more reliable <laughs> defensive base to fall back on. You know, and honestly, that's not something that gets talked about nearly enough as the injury oh, hell that this club has been through. But at the same time, you cannot have a team so paper thin depth wise that 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 two or three even injuries just absolutely tank your season and, and send you into the kind of tailspin that includes three managers in one season. Um, the, the, yeah. the midfield is, I think, where that's most emphasized, because I think while. While I think everyone kind of appreciates Pierre-Emil Hoybier and likes what he can do, this is a man that I feel like we can almost, his downplay in form of late, I think can almost can be attributed to injury because the man's put so many minutes on his legs. This is something I've been emphasizing, I know, with you guys uh, in the group chat. But like, not only does the Bentoncourt injury hurt that, and even even injuries like like Emerson and, and other ones that we've seen, but it, it, it puts such a wear on on his legs on Oliver Skip's legs, which are much younger than, than Hoybier's legs, mind you, but there's just, there's not enough depth. I was elated to see Pat Matasar get subbed onto the pitch today just to have some other flair in that midfield. But um, Hoybier, you know, Hoybier has the second most minutes logged this season in all competitions to Harry Kane on, on, in this club. I mean, that is, he's put well over 3,600 minutes on those legs. And I think we need to all realize that if that guy is going to be effective going forward, he can't be playing this much. He needs rest. Um, and the injuries are a big part of that. Benton Core's absence has caused Hoybier to have to play that much. Um, so, you know, the team needs to add depth is, is basically what I'm saying. They need to go out and spend not only on depth, but depth to make the current starters the ones that are backing players up like that's where where this needs to be we can't be relying on on Hoybier for as long as we have for as many minutes as we have and expect the same performance that we get at the start of the season in late April it just doesn't make any sense to me yeah and I think Basuma is is one that we would point out too is somebody who I think can be very effective in in an attacking setup right and we have we haven't seen that I mean I, I I agree we haven't done a good enough job of building depth I mean uh, we've done an abysmal job of building depth. Let me back up. Just the worst job you could ever do. But we have been hit really hard, like you said, in one specific area. And there's a little bit of, of you know, a, a lack of luck there. You know, it's we, we're unlucky there is what I mean to say. When you lose Bentaker, Basuma, and Skip for the majority of the season, I mean, that that leaves you in a very, very, very precarious position. And, and I do feel for all of our managers in that sense. I mean, Basuma has 30% of the minutes that, that Hoybier has in all comps mm-hmm. this, this season. I mean, that's... And he was that like is, a big midfield signing. Yeah, and that is a big factor in this, too. It's not just the Bentecourger. Thank you for bringing up Basuma, because I hadn't even really thought. And look, he struggled in, in the minutes that he got, but he was also coming into a new system and being asked to do different things. Um, very I do think different that's a, setup. That's a, that's well, a very, very big part of it. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he went from a three-man midfield to a two-man midfield from a team that played totally on the front foot to a team that was soaking up pressure and looking to counter. I mean, night and day, right? So, um, you know, I've been vocal about the fact that I'm not the biggest fan of 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 Yves-Basuma, and I don't know if I ever will be, right? But but I know that he's talented, and I know if we're if we're just talking data and analytics, we're we're missing his ability. So, and and look to your point on Ryan Mason, I I didn't. I didn't expect the football to be good, but I, I, I have expected it to at least not be boring like it was under Conte. And he's delivered on that. Like this mm-hmm. has been better in these last two matches, even with the di- absolute disastrous starts to both of these matches um, paired with the one from a week ago against Newcastle. Yeah. That's bad, but at least the football has not been boring. And at least the vibes have been better because I, I can appreciate Ryan Mason, you know, to Caroline's point, in a in a press conference or in an interview, giving, you know, giving care, giving give a damn uh, about this club and fighting for why the hell wasn't that? Why, why was why was the player that was on the, you know, that scored the winning goal? Why was he still even on the pitch? Saying those kinds of things, and and you know, and taking blame for the poor starts is important to to have. Yeah, well, and that's where I'm like far from upset with Mason. I think. I, I can point out where mistakes were made um, for the talking points, but I'm not upset, right? Like, it is what it is. I think Mason is extremely intelligent, and he'll be the first person, like Caroline said, to learn. As, as Caroline said, Mason has already alluded to, right? He'll be the first person to, to learn from the mistakes that he's made, and I wouldn't be surprised if we come out a little bit more defensively in, in our next match, right, and, uh, and and start in a way that's more conducive to to not losing control of the game right away. So yeah, I I have all the faith in the world that Mason will learn from 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 these uh, these missteps, right? Because they're not even mistakes at this point, um, just just missteps. Do we have anything else specifically on the game that we need to get into? Um, I, I guess we we I guess we kind of covered the Oliver Skip nonsense and all of that. Um, Richarlison, I do kind of want to bring up Richarlison again because honestly, I, I felt I felt really, really down on Richarlison after the United game, and was even kind of really down when they brought him on in this game, thinking he, this guy has not really done anything. I've, I'm I've been frustrated with Richarlison very much so. Um, I've been frustrated with the flopping. It feels a lot like it feels a lot like the reasons that that we disliked Richarlison at Everton are the reasons that I'm starting to dislike him as a member of Spurs is that he was always a player that spent a lot of time on the floor and occasionally popped up with a really nice play and did something spectacular. Um, and I feel like we, we had not gotten enough of the spectacular to this point for Spurs. And, and then he goes and, and equalizes and scores the, you know, the first premier league goal for Spurs. And I was jacked for him. I thought it was a really great move. I was pumped him doing the pigeon dance with, with Sonny to celebrate ripping his shirt off that I thought what a cool moment for that guy to go back to Liverpool and do that. So I do just want to touch on that and say cool for him sucks that it ended up not resulting in, you know, a point, but I thought that was awesome for him. You know, when he took his shirt off, I immediately worried they were going to find a way to, take the goal back because <laughs> that's just I mean you say and I agree he has had I think a little bit of trouble acclimating to Tottenham and the way that we've been playing but there's also a very significant amount of bad luck that has factored into the sure. fact that he doesn't have a Premier League goal yet and and he did have some big moments in the Champions League you know that he we did. can remember of course um, I just think you know I, I hope he's someone who's going to want to stick around and 
hopefully we can transition into a more progressive style of play that will suit him something similar to what he plays with Brazil you know imagine if we had a, a competent attacking midfielder feeding him balls you know yeah I mean or just go get like yeah. Neymar and Vinicius to play alongside of him and maybe well, I don't want Neymar but that's just <laughs> okay, fair, personal fair. preference <laughs> yeah, that's fair no, I, I think too, though, you know, there's a, the, and I'm not saying from anyone on this show, but there's a lot of chatter out there. Like Richarlison hasn't been good enough. He's, he's been drab, awful, all kinds of things been thrown around. The first half of the season was him learning, as you both have said, an entirely new system, an entirely new setup, going from attacking football to, to very much defensive football, preparing for a World Cup, tons going on. And then he's been injured since that World Cup until like very recently. So the dude's like hardly ever played. And I think it seems like there's a there's just this like huge gaping hole in understanding of like what's actually happened in the time that he's been at Spurs. And people are just really quick to say that he hasn't been good enough, but Caroline said it. he popped up huge for us in the Champions League. I mean, we barely we we probably don't get out of that shit group without Richarlison. Um, actually, I don't yeah. think I, I think statistically we don't get out of the group without him. And that group was not even talented. So it's uh yeah, I, th- there's there's a lot more that goes into Richarlison than, than what seems to be at the surface right now. No. And and look, I'll, I fully cop. I've been one of those people that that has wanted to see more from him because like I said, I feel, I feel like he's turned a little bit into the player that everyone hate, loved to hate at Everton because he was always rolling around on the floor. I've still seen a lot of that, but uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't think it's because he doesn't want to be good. I think it's just, he's struggled to, to find his footing this season. And I want to believe that he can eventually do that. And hopefully today getting that first goal in the league, I know there's only four games left, but Hopefully that can, you know, kick on to something better for the rest of this season and and going into next if if he is around. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows what managers coming in or any of that. So um, speaking of managers, do we want to shift this conversation to something that we didn't really get to talk a lot about last week? And that is uh, Scott's boy. We brought him up earlier. Mauricio Pochettino and Chelsea, because this news kind of it was percolating last week but it, i don't i didn't really think it had too many legs and then last week it really really got legs and it it honestly seems like a done deal it seems like they're just waiting for the season to end or i don't know to make make sure chelsea doesn't get relegated who the fuck knows but it seems like mauricio pochettino is gonna be the next head coach at chelsea which is fucking weird i mean weird is a good way to put it <laughs> Yeah. Um, When you say, do we want to talk about this? No, I don't want to talk about it because it's a painful subject, (laughs) but I don't know. I'm, I think I'm at the point where I'm trying to emotionally detach myself from this situation because I don't want to be hurt again around Pochettino. (laughs) Um, I, 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 and it's, for me, it's a little different because obviously I've not been a supporter of the club as long as, most people and you know I I came in kind of at the tail end of the Pochettino era so like obviously I was devastated when he was sacked even if I you know wasn't surprised like it still hurt but I I'm not at the point where I feel like I've, I've seen the word betrayal bandied about a lot um, I don't know. I kind of feel like he has to do what he has to do to keep his career going because he has been out of work for a while and but I kind of hate this for him because Chelsea is a disaster right now. And I don't think it's a good move for him. So it's kind of like there's disappointment mixed up with like, what the hell are you doing? Poch? like, 
are, are you sure about this? You really want to do this? You know what it feels like to me? It feels like when he took the PSG job because yeah. there's massive turmoil within a club that has massive expectations. And he is not the type of guy to go into that scenario. And, and look, he, he had the success that he had at PSG and, you know, won one silverware and did the things, but didn't do, didn't do enough, obviously, because he's still not there to, to, to keep the job long-term. Now I know PSG changes managers like, like, like you or I change underwear, but like still it's, it's, it is a very awkward scenario for a manager like that to go into. And look, the word betrayal is, is a, is a hell of a word. And I, I agree. I've seen a lot of that too. I can't get there. I cannot go to. Well, can to I just betrayal, interject and say, the, yeah, I, I think I might've phrased that a little bit of a loaded way. Like I, I think it's perfectly valid for people to be feeling betrayed. Like I get it. I'm just saying, I, I, I'm not I hear, there. I hear what you're saying. And look, I, I, it's, it's an awkward conversation because based on all of the reporting that we have, and I, I think a lot of this is obviously Pochettino leaking stuff to people, but you know, every, every indication that we have is that Spurs never reached out over the last handful of weeks and months about. So Pochettino that's why I don't feel betrayed if it happens because right. like we didn't do anything to get him ourselves. So that's, that's kind of on Spurs is how I feel. And for me too, as a Spurs fan, who am I just to, to, to blanket say, you know, X manager Y or X player Z, you can't go to this club or this club. Like you can't direct someone else in their career. Now, look, is it going to suck if, you know, Harry Kane leaves on a free in two seasons and goes and plays for Chelsea or God forbid Arsenal. Like, is that something I ever think he would do? No, not really. But at the same time, before news of Pochettino came out last week, I never would have even had an inkling or a prayer that Harry Kane would ever play for Chelsea. Now, is that a non-zero factor and thing? Yeah, I think it is a non-zero. There is a non-zero chance of Harry Kane's career going into Chelsea. Like, I, that's, that's, that's fucking wild to me. These things happen. Yeah, I don't it's know. Funny, Scott. What's funny about it? Uh, no, I'm laughing at Caroline's message in the chat. Oh, Scott. Yeah, 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 yeah. okay. Yeah, Carol. I didn't see uh, that until just Caroline's now. Yeah, he just looked here. so stony faced. I think Scott is ready. Like, I think Scott's ramping up to rant about about this. And I'm, I would just kind of want to let him rip because I know that you have uh, a lot of hatred in your heart right now for the club and there and the fact that they haven't reached out to Pochettino to even inquire about this job again we'll put in quotes reportedly but tell me something tell me something different that i haven't seen like that's all well, the reporting says that i mean the, the source came straight from pochettino a conversation with pochettino that alan brazil had and he's not the type of guy that's going to say i just spoke with this person and they told me this right like he has way too much on the line to to be throwing that kind of stuff around that's not happening so we didn't approach Poch. i'm fully convinced of that um look i don't First of all, I'll say I don't have any problem with him going there. I think he, first of, second of all, I've said first of all a couple times now, Todd Bowley has very much put it out there that he wants to build a project and change the way that Chelsea operates, right? Pochettino's a project guy, tons of money. Todd Todd Bowley, to his credit, is is somebody who I think Pochettino actually would really like to work for right now. And I think that's a huge part of why this has legs, right? And, and, Pochettino loves London. We forget about that. His family wants to be in London, right? These, this is a huge factor in this situation. So, um, yeah, it's it's 100% on us that, that it's going to happen, in my opinion, and I can't fault him for it. Now, 
I understand that people will say like, oh, you you can't go back to your ex. Like, don't follow love. All these all these euphemisms for why you don't hire Pochettino. None of that. None of this at all has to do with with like my feelings of love towards him. The the things that we need desperately as a club are him in a nutshell. He ticks every single box. And then he came to us and said, I would love to be a part of this organization or at least put it out there that he would like to be right. And we don't act on it. I, I put, I put a message in the group chat that we're an absolutely sinking ship. Pochettino came by and said, Hey y'all, like, do you need saved? I got plenty of room. And we're like, no, go ahead, dude. We're We'll find someone else to save us. Hey, by the way, don't save that boat that we don't like over there either, please. You know, we don't want save, but don't save them either. Like it just, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand why we were looking past all the things that we need that he solves. If I'm Daniel Levy, I very much understand the pressure that's on me. I have an entire stadium singing the solution to these problems for me. And I choose to blatantly ignore it. I just, I just don't understand. And I look at, I look at the Mourinho hire. I look at the Conte hire. I don't have any faith that anybody can come in and, at least get this shit boisterous right now at all other than Pochettino. And that's where I say Mason maybe as a consolation because he at least offers half of what Poch does, which is that affinity to the club that we desperately need right now without the talent and ability of Pochettino. So it's an asinine decision. It makes zero sense. And I'll tell you what, Levy is fucking great at making asinine nonsensical decisions. So here we are, right? I just, I don't have any other way to explain what's going on right now. I will put it on the record boldly that not hiring him is a fucking huge mistake. And I will not never back off of that hill unless Mason comes in and like wins the league next year. And we know that's not going to happen. So the, the boat metaphor I think is, is the best one that you've ever presented on any podcast that I've ever done with, with you. And I, well, I credit you because that is exactly what this scenario does feel like. And that is um that's spot on mate. Uh, and, and I want to even think we're going to find a ship to save us. Honestly, like who's to say we even are right. This, this We've is, this is this the point that I does. made a few weeks ago with the, with the nuclear, the nuclear uh, fire being put out and, and he's, and Pochettino feels like the only coolant. I mean, it, it, I don't know that there is another, coolant to this situation right now ryan mason the fact that he feels like the closest closest one i think is 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 a real indictment on and no offense to ryan mason but i think that's a real indictment on the candidates out there i think i think nagelsman might be that might be one you know there, there could be a slot might be one but none of them are gonna fix this thing and cool it down in the way that that pochettino would right now um, and the fact that it does feel like he's off to Chelsea is, is, is boggling to me. I want to, I want to tell this quick story because, um, Scott, you and I were, were out in Las Vegas and I think it was in February or maybe, maybe late January. And we were, we were having lunch one day, um, at, sitting at a bar and we, we were just kind of shooting the shit about Spurs and the guy sitting next to us kind of overheard us talking about Tottenham and, and he, he piped up and had a, had a British accent. And so we got to talking about soccer and we found out that he was a Chelsea fan and, he when 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 as part of the conversation he pretty much just started unabashedly praising Mauricio Pochettino out of nowhere we we didn't we weren't really talking specifically about Pochettino but he just started praising Pochettino and 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 was talking about how much he admired the way that Spurs were under Pochettino this is a Chelsea fan saying that mind you um and he was a very polite gentleman and it, the conversation didn't last for more than 10 minutes but um in that 10 minutes he had so many wild uh and and 
boastful things to say about Mauricio Pochettino and was joking about the fact that um, it was crazy that we, you know, we had let him go and that, you know, he wished that 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 was the kind of manager that Chelsea could hire because Chelsea are in a shambles right now and they need to find a guy like that. Well, we all kind of chuckled about that because we thought, well, that'll never fucking happen. Sorry, buddy. Like that guy would never go to. And now two and a half months later, this is where we are. So I, I guess the point of the story is maybe Spurs didn't look at Pochettino in the way that these other massive clubs in Europe, both PSG and now Chelsea have, and maybe didn't quite appreciate what we had at the time. And the fact that I, I agree with you, it, there, there's a lot of going back to your ex type of scenarios that, 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 that are at play here and how that can be a bad thing. But you know, it can work too. I just, I, I, I would almost like to find out. And if it does, and if, and honestly, can you think of a scenario now going forward where if Pochettino goes to work for Chelsea, could you think of Pochettino ever returning to this club after this? Cause I really can't, I no. think that would be well, wild if that no, ever happened now. It's a great point. And I think what, what, what confuses me so much is the same people who, who tell me that bringing Pochettino back, you know, is, is too much of a r- romantic decision, blah, 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 are the same people who bash Levy over the head for making horrible decisions back to not backing Poch, right? So I just, it all feeds into itself. I don't understand it. I don't, I, I just, I, I don't know. I just don't understand how, how it's not so blatantly obvious that this, this should be happening. And, and honestly, Daniel Levy, I think is somebody who first, first I'll say this, if, if, if Poch goes to Chelsea, I'm I'm fully Levy get the fuck out of my club and I've never even been remotely close to that before. I've I've had issues with him. I've backed him on shows. I think what he does off the field is great. Um but if if he lets Pochettino walk and then continues this manager merry-go-round bullshit, I'm fully get out of my club as quickly as humanly possible. Um I just I don't see how I could feel any other way, but it all goes back to his decision making. He didn't back the greatest manager we've ever had. The one time that the dude stumbled into a recipe that actually worked. He chose not to see it through. And and the thing the thing about it is I think the I think he won't bring Pochettino back because he's so convinced that it was Pochettino that led to us sacking him, but it was not. It was Daniel Levy that led to us needing to sack Pochettino. We all know this, right? And it's Levy's ego, in my opinion, that has us in the situation where he doesn't want to own up to the fact that Pochettino needs to come back. It's not a it's not some like romantic relationship that needs reignited. It's going back to a system and a solution that worked very well for us um, bar some poor decision-making from the top. I think that's some of the most sound Daniel Levy criticism that I've heard uh, in quite some time, because a lot of the Daniel Levy criticism that's out there, including a lot that we saw on Thursday is, is not it. That ain't, that ain't the kind that, that should be out there. But from everything that we've heard from Daniel Levy in the past week and a half or so from when that Cambridge uh, interview slash Q and a was, was posted to the statement that he made following the sacking of Christian Salini last week. I don't think he's done anything to cover himself in glory in the last handful of weeks and none of it, you know, comments that leaked about the women's team as well, just all kinds of shit that is very, very bad. And, and, and it makes me, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. I've never been, you know, a quote unquote Levy out person just because that comes with so many other kind of tentacles and webs surrounding it, uh, which don't tend to make a lot of sense. This guy's done a lot of really good things for the business side of this club, but he hasn't done enough things for the football side of this club to justify the, the imbalance there. And that's kind of just where I'm at with it. But um, the Pochettino thing, I, I don't know, man, it's, 
it's exhausting. It's not something that I wanted to feel this week. I felt it all week. I felt, and, and look, it's not done and dusted. Nothing's been announced, but based on all the reports, it feels like that's the way it's going. And if it does go that way, boy, howdy, I I don't know if it matters who, who Spurs hire as their next full-time manager, because it's not going to be that guy. And that's going to disappoint a lot of people. Yeah, I don't. I don't understand how this. How the fans don't implode the stadium if that happens. Like I, I really. Well, let's not let's not put those kinds of things out in the ether. But yeah, I that, it, it's a horrible, horrible expression that I just tried to make there. So I apologize to the listener. But I'll, I'll, I'll I, what I mean, geez, I've I've tripped myself up here. But what? No, I, what you're I really, fine, man. Even even throwing I, balloons at this point, I'm just like, what are we doing? Well, yeah, and and honestly, though, my point is, I don't understand how Levy just doesn't have the wherewithal to see what's going to happen if Pochettino is announced at Chelsea. I mean, maybe he does. I I don't know. It's just, it's so obvious that things will get very, very, very bad for this club if that happens. And we also have the video of Donna Cullen saying this is shit to Levy when we were, you know, when things were ramping up against United at, at home. Donna Cullen is certainly very much at fault for this situation too. You know, we don't ever talk about her, but she has to be held to account as well if Levy does, right? But but the the two of them clearly saw what was happening on Thursday, and I just, I just maybe there is a plan to to get Poch back, but if there's not, it's just absolutely mind bending. It really is. Well, and I think this would be a good place too to to touch on the fact that Spurs last week um, announced that they are implementing a structured fan advisory board, which is another kind of part of this uh, puzzle that has been with at the club. Now, look, I, there's a lot that goes into this thing. I don't really, you know, I don't really know how much of a voice I'm, I'm skeptical is, is how I'm going to preface this conversation because I'm skeptical about how much this fan advisory board will have influence over the club. Um, not that I think it should have massive influence over the club, but look, it's a sign that the club is listening to, to what a lot of other clubs do in this sense is give the fans a voice and give the fans some kind of um, extra leg into reaching the club and it's, it's ownership and board, but I'm just, like I said, skeptical is my word for, for this because I think it's a, a good step, but it's also very strange timing with everything going on too. The, the, the fact that they announced this in the middle of last week was a choice. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, I agree. I, it was definitely a choice and I don't know if you guys saw the Kane interview that came out in the last, what, 48 hours. So I actually haven't, but just seeing all kinds of all kinds of chatter that it was very like scripted and like and media prepared blah 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 and i can't really think of a time where this club wasn't wasn't operating in that way i mean we all know pochettino never said anything that made any sort of sense in his press conferences right he was always dancing around the issue because um you know what we thought at the time it was maybe a posh thing but then i look at Mourinho. the second he pipes up he's let go conte finally just like all that boiled up to the top and he and he started being candid with the media. We've never had a player sit down and like give us any sense of what's happening. We've never had a manager do that. We've never had, you know, anyone from the club bar paratiti with some bullshit anyways from a phone in a hotel room do something like that. So I just I I really start to get the sense that we we are also run very poorly from a media presence perspective from the very top of the organization coming from Daniel Levy, right? He's it's all coming out that he he doesn't want anything to do with putting himself, you know, in the public eye. And I think that maybe spills on to the rest of the organization. And my God, this club could use some transparency, if anything else, right? 
I mean, I think the women's team is our next topic, but I'll just say that that's definitely an area where transparency would go a long way because, I mean, y'all know I do that other podcast about the women's team and we constantly have listener questions asking us things about the club structure and it's like, we don't know anything, you know, it's, it's, it's extremely opaque, especially on the women's side Mm. of things. So uh, it just makes it very frustrating to see how change is ever going to happen with the current board in place. And I don't know, it, it, it bums me out because that's not something we can change as fans as much as we would like to think we could. That the only thing that could possibly change it is Daniel Levy having some shame, I guess, but no evidence that that's going to happen. Well, and, and it's a it's a good point. I mean, uh, and I do kind of want to transition into the women's team and and not only talking about the the result against Brighton, but the comments that, that Levy made last week um, talking about the WSL. And I don't this was a Daily Mail thing and it was reported by uh, versus.uk.com. I, there's a lot going on here, but, you know, thinking that WS, WSL should eliminate promotion relegation is is very let's get into a Super League vibes for me. Uh, from the men's side and just very uh, antithetical to everything that, that, that football is and should be. And it just, it continues to be a conversation about uh, Daniel Levy, not really having a fucking clue what he's talking about when it comes to football matters, business matters, different, different story. He's obviously built a beautiful stadium and has got uh, sponsorships and all kinds of things working but the football side of things, I would really just rather have uh, someone else do that. And I think he's hired someone else to do that. It's just that that person's not quite in the role yet. But um, just Daniel Levy, what what the fuck, man? Uh, stop. Stop with the, 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 the commenting on things that you shouldn't be commenting on, I guess. But um, I don't know. Caroline, you want to – I know you're probably, you know, tuckered out talking about the women's team, but you want to give us the – the lowdown on on what happened uh yesterday uh, with the women's team i I know you you guys talked about earlier today on n17 women and that that'll be out as well but um give us give us the abridged version because i know i don't want to i don't want to fatigue you too much more all right so the abridged version is that after pulling off kind of a surprising comeback draw against aston villa last weekend we didn't take this very important, you know, essentially six pointer against Brighton as seriously as we should have. And, you know, we went down a goal twice, equalized twice, but I, I just, I worry that they're not taking the threat of relegation seriously enough. Um, and luckily we have Beth England who can score goals almost at will. And she's kind of keeping us in it, but there's, there's just a lot of issues with the women's team at the moment, but I will say to kind of try to be a little bit optimistic, Rhea Percival had made her first appearance in basically a year since going out with an ACL on international duty. Um, so that was really good to see. Kit Graham had the assist for the equalizer. So we're getting players back. It's Jess came back too, I think, right? With yes. Some, Jess, some Jess had minutes. a, not a season long injury, but also a pretty lengthy one. And she looks great since she's returned. So we've got pieces coming back. If you look at their final run in, our schedule is a little more favorable than the other teams that are at risk, which would be Reading, Brighton and Leicester. Um, 
So it, it's just, just unfortunate because if we had gotten all three points in this game, I would have felt pretty comfortable saying we were safe. And now we're still getting dragged back into it. And our next game is against Manchester United away, which is going to be incredibly difficult because United are, you know, still at the top of the title race, albeit with Chelsea having games in hand. But, you know, they're going to be highly motivated to get a win in this game. And we do tend to struggle away at their stadium. So, yeah, and United's coming off that that huge last second win too this weekend. They're going to be riding high. Yeah, they've they've definitely got the form advantage. They've they've been more consistent. I mean, they haven't been a perfect team this season, which I think their own fans would tell you. But they they tend to find a way to get it done when it matters. So I I would not count on us. being safe after this weekend coming up, but hopefully the next game after that is against Reading. So that's a, you know, direct rival, I guess you would say for relegation. So if we can win in that game, we should be okay. Yeah. Reading, Reading is clearly two points, two (laughs) points clear of safety. And, and, and the point was important for Spurs women because it keeps them three points clear of Reading for that spot. So um, like you said, get through the United match as best you can. And then, you know, if you win the Reading match, you've, you 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 get the job done. You secure your spot. But um, you know, well, I think too the the most frustrating thing about that match, and I will say, it's really nice watching the women's team because I have I have a um, a lack. I, I can't think. I was going to say I'm not apathetic, right? I'm really enjoying watching matches, and I get emotionally tied to them. You have give a damn. Team. Yeah, I care. Yeah, which is really nice, right? Um, but the way we conceded so early and let them have that goal so easily, it, it, it just kind of reminiscent of the entire problem at Spurs right now from top to bottom, right? It just, Caroline and I were texting. It just reminded me of, 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 of what we'd seen from the men's team in recent times, right? Just, just quick goals conceded. I also, I don't know enough about Vicky Jepson to make, to make much of, you know, more than just like comments based on what I'm seeing, but Beth England was very much pressed against the left side of the flank for like the first 10 minutes of that game. It was weird. I asked Caroline if Beth was playing left wing and Caroline told me she was not right, but she, she was really pressed up against the flank for the, those first 10 minutes. And we just seemed a little lopsided. They scored a goal. I don't know if we were trying something a little creative in the beginning of a match, right. And, and instead of feeling it out, but I don't know, as, as, as boring as this is, I'm a huge fan of, of, of easing into matches and feeling them out rather than like than taking risks in the first 10 minutes. Right. Which both of our men's and women's teams are very much doing right now. Um, but, but yeah, I do think that that hurt us in the sense we just, you can't concede so early in such an important match. And then like Caroline said, Beth England saved our asses twice and Caroline and I were texting. I, there's no way we're, we're staying up if we didn't sign her, right? So if we do stay up, it's all on the signing of Beth England, the one thing that this board has ever gotten correct, we'd said, right? Yes, and yet Daniel Levy would have you believe that it's unsafe to invest in a WSL team, <laughs> even though it's been proven that when you do, good nightmare. things happen. It's a fucking but nightmare, the conversation. Did he say that? Yeah, he, when he was talking shit. about wanting to implement a closed system, you know, like the NWSL, which I would love to know if he's ever watched a minute of NWSL. I highly doubt it. Dude, he loves um, American yeah, sports. He's all about it. It's it's like what he's basing everything he does off of. It's, I, it's I got to tell you, I, I I can't believe that Daniel Levy has ever watched an NWSL game. That would no. that would baffle me. But um, he seems to think that if 
the WSL was a closed system that would somehow encourage clubs to invest more in their women's teams when we all know that the exact opposite would happen because there would be no hope of, of ever progressing, you know? And the teams that are below the WSL with no hope of ever getting promoted to the WSL, like they already are in a tenuous position and it would just get worse. So yeah, well, you invest yeah. to keep your Levy, team. I mean, you invest to keep your team in the WSL and avoid relegation. That's what you do. Right. You don't, if, if, if you, if you're not going to be relegated, you're not going to invest because you're not going to get relegated. Exactly. It does yeah, not, but this it does dude has never, sense. yeah, sorry. He's never cared about investing in the on-field product. So why would he care about investing in, in a team that, that's trying to, to make something of itself in the women's super league, right? If it's oh. not, if it's not a well, sound business know, investment, yeah. then why? Something we were, when y'all were talking about the fact that Pochettino sacking was kind of a, a self-enforced decision by Daniel Levy, like failing to, to back him. It's not quite at the same level with Rianne Skinner, but it is a little bit similar mm-hmm. in the sense that she really brought a ton of belief to the team and to the fan base last season. You know, the team overperformed massively. And instead of seeing that as a sign to, you know, just completely back her and give her the reins, they, they hamstrung her this season and she ended up getting sacked and I don't know. We've been talking kind of in some of my Spurs women circles about like feeling a little bit of pity towards Rianne that it came to that because it's a lot of it was out of her control. It starts at the top. Shit runs down the hill. I think we know that uh, as, as Spurs fans, um, to your point, though, Spurs women, uh, three points clear of that relegation zone and, you know, get, like I said, get through the Man United match and then you get the, the true six-pointer against Reading that would, that would secure the spot. So um, that is a plus. Uh, as for the men, they, they've fallen back to six now, uh, tied on points with Aston Villa, who they don't play this weekend, but they do play next weekend. So a similar scenario there. Um, I didn't even ask this when we were talking about the men. Do you guys even want European football next year for the men? Do we care? Because I'm kind of to the point where I don't really think it matters either way. I'm torn on it. I, I mean, it just feels like from a reputational standpoint, it would be kind of rough to not be in Europe in some form or fashion at the same time. I don't want to go through the conference league again. Those streams, they were rough. Um, The players had no interest clearly. Like if it's not Europa league, probably not. I want zero European football wholeheartedly. Absolutely. None of it. Um, Honestly, even, even, even if we got top four, I would honestly think nothing more than we're going to lose every fucking game in that thing next year. And it's going to distract us from what needs to happen. Like I really truly feel that way. And I'm not trying to like be dramatic for, for the sake of, uh, of the podcast. I, I just, I really think we need a season with no European football because we need time on the training pitch. And if you're not in European football, you get exponentially more time to train and get your team where it needs to be. And that's, that's the factor here. Right. Um, we have so much work to do, so much work than our league position shows, et cetera, and we cannot be distracted um, by pointless pointless European matches. Buddy, I, I hope you know we're not getting top four. We're, we're well, nine, 
We're nine I've, points back. I just looked. I didn't even actually realize it was this bad. I just looked. We're nine points back of Manchester United with four games to play, and they have six games to play. They have two yeah. games in hand on us and a nine-point oh, lead for, for the fourth place. That's done and dusted. Honestly, yeah. after losing today, I don't see how we catch Liverpool for fifth. We're, we're, we're two points back of them, plus they have a game in hand. Uh, and honestly, at this point, we have the same number of games and points with Aston Villa in the tie for six. We're two games better than them on goal differential. And of course, like I said, we play them uh, a week from Saturday. We play Palace this coming Saturday and then Aston Villa. Uh, so that'll be almost a, a, a six-pointer for the 6-7 six, spot, if you will, uh, depending on the results this week, this coming weekend. And then Brighton are right behind as well. They're only two points back of us. And they have three games in hand. Like, there's no chance this club is finishing fifth. I think sixth is the absolute best right now. And I think we're more likely likely looking at a seventh or eighth place finish for for Spurs. Eighth place is my prediction. I think we'll we'll just nestle right there at eighth place at the end of the season, which whatever. Like I said, it achieves my goal of no European football. But the, the last thing we need is a conference league. By God, that's like the worst thing that could happen to this club right now. And I'm not even joking. Like, that is the worst thing that can happen to this club right now is to have to play in that competition. Um, I, w- I told you guys in the group chat today, I'll allow myself here a little bit and show that I can be a negative ass sometimes, but I said that, that us getting a point was concerning to me today that I was like, when we're Charleston scored, I actually, I gave a fist bump, but that's because my stream froze and I didn't know what happened. Like <laughs> I, I really did not And so when I saw that it was in, it just kind of was like, Oh, cool goal. But then I thought about it. I'm like, Oh fuck. Like, that point's going to get us conference league. We can't keep, we can't secure points right now. As bad as that sounds, we we just need to keep dropping them. Fifth place is the Europa League group stage. Isn't sixth place the Europa League like playoff? Weren't we in that a couple of seasons ago? And then seventh is conference league. Do I have that right? I think so. Based on cups, how they've turned out. Yeah. Yeah. Depending on that stuff every year, I feel like it's, you got to track who won the, who won the league cup, who won the FA cup, all this shit. Yeah, but well, in the year that we did have to go into the qualification stage was one of those really stressful situations where there were like so many different permutations on the final day. And I was like, you know, the math lady gift. That was me. Right. Yeah. And honestly, this season, I I'm to the that I think that's the part of the apathy that I have reached. It's that I don't care where we finish on the table. I want the season to end. I still care. Like I said, the, the emotions that I had on Thursday night, second half. When Richarlison scored today, the emotions I had were still there. There's not apathy for the care, the want to, but it's the it's the standings that I've reached complete. Don't give a shit where I, like I don't even really have a preference on Europe or no Europe, like you guys said you do. But I, I just I'm kind of over it. I'm ready for the season to be over and for us to appoint a full time manager and go from there. It's because you're ready for the rebuild, and I'll close the episode by saying we can just fucking start it by hiring Mauricio Pochettino and start it now. We don't even have to wait for these last four games to end. It's 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 honestly. Do you think if Daniel think- Levy called? Do you think if Daniel Levy called Pochettino tonight and 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 started a dialect? Do you think Pochettino would then turn his back on all these r- reports that that he's well, going to Chelsea? Yeah. You think Absolutely. he would just turn around and say, "Oh, okay, I'm coming home." absolutely i absolutely he would he he would he would come to save our asses and that's that's why i get so frustrated that we would say no to someone who looks at this situation and says i'm coming baby no one else in the fucking world's coming but i'm coming and we're and again we're just like nope we'll just putz around and 
hire Mason. I would be the Thanks. pettiest bitch if I was in Pochettino's shoes and Daniel Levy called me tonight. I would be demanding the clouds, the moon, the stars, everything from him because I would be, I would be, I would be the pettiest bitch. No question. Well, about and, it. but yeah. and and we should say Pochettino is he is a romantic. He he is the type of person who, if you go back to your ex when when they need you more than anything and your ex says fuck you what are you going to do you're going to go start dating the person that they fucking hate the most because you're a romantic person and you live by the passion and emotion and vibe of life just like pochettino does poch is a revenge dater he's a revenge dater that's what you're saying but if he's gonna go sleep with our enemy just to make us jealous he will no he will he'll i'm just gonna say we should just be glad it's not arsenal like I know, people oh. say Chelsea is just as big of a rivalry, but I don't believe it. I think if he, it I was don't think Arsenal, do it. like we'd all be, we'd be losing our minds. I don't think he would do it either. But I'm just saying, like yeah. it, would, it would be way worse. It would be up. horrible. I would be mad at him actually if he did that. I it's I would be upset with Poch if he did that. Not, we not all Chelsea. Would. Um, I mean, Poch came out, Barcelona wanted him, and he said, no, I played at Espanyol. I'll never do that, right? So I would think it'd be no different with Arsenal. Um, the the man literally turned down the Barcelona job on principle. So he is he is a special breed and somebody that all jokes aside, I have a ton of respect for. I've had a chance to meet him and um yeah, just an amazing person. And obviously that factors into my desire to bring him back, but close this thing out by saying fucking hire Pochettino Levy, please. Just do it. I think that's the place to leave it because I don't know what else we could we could possibly say about the week that was. I'm I'm fucking exhausted. I'm 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 a little bit relieved, but also um, disappointed that I will not be with you guys the next couple of weeks. Caroline's gonna uh, take the hosting chair. Uh, I'm going on a cruise with my wife and gonna be away. And I, I feel like I've given it all in this hour and twenty minutes of of podcasting and look this season has just it's it's taken the life out of me uh especially these last few weeks so i'm gonna you know we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna end this one and we're gonna keep going uh the tottenham depot will return next week you guys are gonna it's in safe hands but um i i'm just gonna bid you all a fond adieu adieu for a few weeks because i can't do this right now i need a break i need a, a beach chair on a cruise ship uh and that's what's gonna happen for me so um that's going to do it for the Tottenham Depot for this week as we all uh, take our collective breaths. Uh, Shuban, who ducked out a little bit earlier, if you couldn't tell, you haven't heard his voice in a while. He is at the real Shuban. Uh, Caroline is at CG Stefko. Scott is at DSM Spurs. I am at A Stetka. We are at Tottenham Depot. Follow the podcast there, Twitter, Instagram, etc. Um, leave us a rating and review on your podcast app of choice and tell a friend. That is how this podcast gets going. Subscribe if you haven't subscribed. Uh, and we will be back with you next weekend, uh, as we always are here at the Tottenham Depot. As always, come on, you Spurs. Thank you so much for stopping by the Tottenham Depot. Thanks to Scott Bird for our intro music, as well as the tunes you are hearing right now. Thanks to Dakota Booth for our artwork. Thank you as well to our spouses who put up with our obsession with this football club and for all that they do. And thanks to you, the listener, who really makes this happen. Supporters make this club, and you, the listener, are what make this podcast possible. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Tottenham Depot, and as always, come on, you Spurs. <laughs>